as part of the Jeremiah Show. It's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My show is under the Jeremiah Show platform, and my show features musical artists uh, who have had long, extensive careers in the world of the music business, as well as up-and-coming artists. Today, I have a very established musician here with me today, um, John DiNicola. He's a songwriter, producer, musician, a record label head of a boutique record label called Omad Records, based out of New York City. He's been in the recording industry for over five decades, is an Academy Award and Golden Globe Award winning and Grammy nominated songwriter for the songs I've Had the Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And that soundtrack held the number one spot on Billboard for 18 weeks and has sold over 60 million copies worldwide. Uh, We're here today featuring songs from John's two solo albums, his 2019 release, The Why Because, and his 2021 release, She Said. And you can find out more about John DiNicola at omadrecords.com, john-dinicola.com. And you can follow him on Instagram at Music, and look him up under his name under all of your favorite digital platforms. And so, John, hi, welcome. Thanks for coming on my show. Well, thanks for having me, Arwen. Um, I thought we could start by talking about where you're from, and uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about um, why you started to play music, what inspired you, and what was your first instrument? Yeah, well, um, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from New York. I, uh, I was born in Amityville, Long Island. But I am not the Amityville Horror. Maybe I am. <laughs> um, but uh, I started playing. Really, I picked up my brother's guitar in the basement in Amityville. I'm talking about six or seven years old, I guess. And my brother had a guitar, and um, I just picked it up and I started plucking the strings. Of course, I, I had no idea what to do with my left hand, so I was just plucking the strings. And I heard my mother upstairs say to my dad, he sounds like he'd be good on guitar. So I don't know if that's what uh, inspired me, but um, that was my first instrument. I, I uh, took lessons uh, at a you know a little studio in Copeg, Long Island, New York. And um, I did that for a short time. Um, and then as I got older, um, like in seventh grade, I met uh, these two bro- a brother, a guy named John and Ken, Johnny, John and Ken Favre, and um, they were they had Fender amps and and uh, you know Stratocaster and a couple of Gretsch guitars and they they both played guitar so I switched to bass okay because we started a band in okay. seventh grade and we would play at the gymnasium and the sock hops and that kind of thing so uh, that's that was my start. 
And did you always sing too, or did you pick up singing for that band, or was it later? Um, that's a good question. I probably uh, I was in a cover band like in. When did I start singing? I mean, I, I always sang sort of back up, mm-hmm. but more when we were doing cover bands, you know, uh, like in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, and then out of high school, um, I played in a, a, a cover band, basically. And I, I would sing maybe one or two leads a night. We started at a time when um, it was pre-disco era, so it was soul and r&b but was considered you know like barry white and and you know the stylistics and stuff like that you know talking about the 70s so uh we did uh, that kind of music and you know uh for some reason i ended up singing the Har- harold melvin and the blue notes song <laughs> love uh, it this, the lead singer who was awesome this guy named tim wallace uh would We'd switch, he'd play my bass and I'd sing a song or two. But for the most part, it was harmonies and stuff like that. I, I never considered myself a singer per se. Well, I mean, harmonies, that's a kind of its own exp- or ex- its own adventure because harmony is not an easy thing to hear. But if you've been, you've been studying music theory initially, then that probably just became engraved in your ear. Um, and... So from that, uh, you so you played through high school and stuff, and then was your first band, like professional band, the Jazz Fusion Quintet Flight? Well, I mean, if you consider, I, I guess I would consider that cover band. It was a band called Sweetback. Okay. Professional, but we didn't have a record deal. So the Flight would be the first band that had a record deal, okay. um, which, of course, back in the day and even today is never an easy task to get a record deal so um you know we were i was making money professionally and we were we had a whole pa system we'd lug in and uh with that band Sweetback doing covers but um uh then when i switched to flight i got i was actually went to berkeley college for um for a, a year right okay and during that time, I got a call to play bass with this band called Flight. I, I, Jim Yeager, who was in Flight, they had done two records already for Motown. No, maybe they weren't on Motown. I forget what label they were on. But when when I joined the band, we were on Motown. Okay. But Jim Yeager was in my cover band as a keyboard player. So I went away to college, and then I got a call. You know, we need a bass player for... We're, we're trying to get a record deal again. They, I guess they lost their record deal as Flight and, and Motown signed them. Okay. And it was a jazz fusion band. Can you find that recording anywhere now? Um, you can. First of all, I mean, uh, it's all over. Not all over, but you can find it easily on YouTube. But um, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but Erica Badu sampled one of our songs for her hit song back in the day. Um, it's a, a sample from Flight. Oh, how cool. I didn't know that. And I know yeah. the Black Eyed Peas had sampled something from I've Had the Time of My Life, too, right? Right. Yeah, it's, right. Like, it's, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's always nice when that happens. But yeah, so, um, you know, Flight, Flight was, uh, we were good live. Um, it was at the heyday of, of sort of fusion music, you know, 78, 79, 80, 81. 
but uh, I, I I was never happy with the recording. Uh, mm. the, the record didn't sound great, but you know my my son and his friends uh, listen to it and they they love it. So I guess it's I guess it's okay. I think it just depends on your sense of taste, you know, and your ears, and yeah. it's yeah. different. I was having a conversation with one of my guests, George Adrian, a few weeks ago, and he was saying how he he and he mixed his own record, and it just, it sounds beautiful. But he was like, I could after mixing it and going through all that, I could hardly listen to it anymore for a while. And I think your ears just get so used to something that, you, yeah, you know. it's tough. I, I mean, I find that uh, with the records I, I I do here at the studio. Um, you get so deep inside of it and you know all the ins and outs of it it it's always fun to kind of listen not listen for like six months and come back and then listen to it again and you start to hear it with uh, different ears fresher ears i totally agree with that um well is did you go into producing after flight um and was kara's flowers your first band that you produced um i know that you would discovered kara's flowers and then they became maroon five um how did like your production career begin basically yeah how did your production career begin good question um you know uh <clears throat> songwriting is fun and it is it's a great out outlet but um you know i was kind of in that you know you, you get it just as a songwriter uh, not an artist just as a songwriter you, you get into the you know who's looking for a song and and you're getting into other people's heads and uh um it starts to get um wear on you a little bit you need a break from it yeah you know um Especially since it's so difficult to land covers, uh, you know what I mean by that. It, you know, to get somebody to, you know, you write a song for um, an artist and uh, hopes that they might record it on their record, and yeah. that's just a hard process. And it, and it gets, you know, you, you, fi you know, you find yourself you're batting your head against the wall. And this is even after I had um, big hits. So. Um, uh, you, you need a break from it. So that was my, uh, and, and in in making demos to submit for artists, it, it became, you know, in the old days, you could just play a guitar or a piano and sing and say, here's my song, what do you think? Then it started to get production had to be, you know, the A&R the guys weren't, you know, they weren't just listening they weren't hearing a song they'd have to hear a production right you know they'd be able to just pop a, the singer's voice on <clears throat> so it became more producer oriented and years of doing that um kind of honed my production skills uh so i um you know i um i got into that uh from that you know it, it you need a break from songwriting and, and yeah. so i would I, I i my first things were with a, a friend of mine tom tommy allen who was a drummer and we started a, a production company it was actually called omad Productions. okay and um we found the band the size or tommy mm -hmm. found them and he was booking the china club in new york city and he found this band the size and we got them signed to charisma and actually co-produced that with my good friend ed stasium okay uh, and then we'd look for other artists um, to produce, and um, and that's when um, actually Tommy heard um, 
them too. We heard um, Kara's flowers while I was walking on a beach in in uh, Malibu. Actually, he just heard them playing and walked up and just heard him and walked up and said, "Listen, guys, you guys are great. You know, I have a production company. Let's, you know." So we brought him into the studio um, <clears throat> there in the valley. Uh, actually, we started at oh, I forget the name of that studio. Um, sound uh, that they, they just I think it just. Um, Oh, is it the, there was a documentary made about it yes, with the yes. Foo Fighters, Sound City. Yeah. Sound City. Yeah. That's where we we did our initial uh, uh, recordings with them. Cool. And, um, you know, that's what, that's how I got into it. Just um, needing a break from writing all the time. And, you know, and then I'd do a record and then I'd go back to writing again. So it was uh, one kind of uh, helps the other to clear, you know, kind of clear the palette and, and, and start over again. Yeah, it's like you can't read the same book over and over again or you get bored. <laughs> you use different right. parts of the brain. And, and writing is uh, taxing. You know, it it's, be, it's yeah. taxing. It's, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I guess some people are more prolific than others. Um, I, I feel like there's only a certain amount of songs in you, <laughs> you know. I mean, and you find yourself. you all the time, you know, you, you know, a break from it was uh, helpful for me. Yeah, and um, I mean, and especially probably, it, so it sounds like you got into production production after writing, right? Um, so when you you co-wrote Hungry Eyes and Time of My Life with Frankie Previte, is that how you say his last name? Previt. Previt, excuse me. Um, and so when you two co-wrote those songs, was that in the beginning of your writing career? Or had you been writing for a little while and then you met Frankie and then um, you came up with the songs? And then also, how did you get those songs into Dirty Dancing? Yeah. Uh, I had been writing a bit. I, uh, I kind of switched from, uh, well, even in the band Flight, I was writing some stuff for that. But um, then I was in sort of pop rock bands and, you know, if you're looking for a record deal, somebody's got to write the song. So I just started. I started writing, and I was actually working on the track for "Hungry Eyes" at a friend of mine, David Prater Studio in New Jersey. And uh, Frankie was in a band called Frank and the Knockouts. Uh, had just lost his record deal, okay, and was trying to write new songs for a new record. And he was also at david prater's studio i i didn't know frankie at that point and david you know i had the track really the music as you hear it for hungry eyes already okay and, and uh, david you know as frankie was looking for new songs to try and get a record label a, a record label a record deal he heard uh, david played him the track for hungry eyes and he asked me if he could you know write some melody and lyric to it um, and he did, and that was the first song that Frankie and I wrote together. Okay. Uh, it was initially for Frankie's record deal. Um, and then while we were doing that, and we had written about six or seven other songs together, uh, Frank got a call from Jimmy Einer, who um, used to have Millennium Records, which Frankie and the Knockouts was on, but he had folded it and decided he was going into film. And so... Um, Jimmy came to him and said, listen, there's this movie um, called uh, Dirty Dancing, and uh, they need a song for the closing, you know, the closing of it. And they're getting ready to film it, and they still don't have the song. They're using a Lionel Richie um, kind of placeholder. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't like we had the gig. It wasn't like, hey, 
you guys write this song. Yeah. We were, you know, it was a cattle call and we were submitting uh, as the story goes. Um, well, Jimmy got, Jimmy called Frankie and Frankie said, listen, I don't know if I can do this right now, Jimmy, because I'm trying to write songs to get a new record label, you know, a new record deal. And um, Jimmy said, you know, I think you should take a minute here because it's going to change your life. And, you know, little did we know that he was right. Um, but um, we submitted along with, the, as the story goes, 150 other songs. And we were on like the last, this is back in the days of cassettes. Yeah. The, uh, um, Eleanor Bergstein, who, who is a good friend of mine now, is the writer for Dirty Dancing. And Kenny Ortega was the um, choreographer and Emil Ardolino was the director and and Patrick and they were all sitting there putting tapes in and you know looking for the song and uh it was like the 150th song they listened to and they were <laughs> having to record like the next day or so because they were filming out of sequence they were going to film the ending first and um you know there there was a little bit of a you know no one was too excited about the movie yet because I don't know, you know, it was a low budget and blah, blah, blah. And uh, they put this song on. This is the story that was recounted to us. And they just went, this is this, this is, is the song. <laughs> is it, Are we crazy? Is this not, you know, I think Kenny Ortega said, uh, are we just like really in need of a song or is this like the perfect song? And they were all flipped out and they, they loved our demo. They kind of got a demo-itis about it too. Uh, Frank. Frankie sang the demo with my friend Rochelle Capelli, and Frankie was in the same range as Rochelle, so we didn't have that octave down like Bill Medley eventually did. Um, well, but, uh, we actually, we're going to run to break really quick, but let's finish and pick up that story right when we come back. Um, I don't mean to interrupt you. And uh, so you're listening to John D. Nicola on the Arwen Lewis Show. We're talking about how his songs, I've Had the Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes, Got Into Dirty Dancing. They are on his album, The Why Because, that we're featuring songs from today. We're going to take you out to break with his song, Love Divine, and that's from his album, She Said, and bring you back in with a recording of I Am Not Willing by Peter Lewis from Moby Grape. That's John DiNicola's version, and we'll be right back.
Hey, this is John DiNicola, and you're listening to The Arwin Lewis Show. Listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. Today, my very special guest is Grammy Award nominated, Academy Award, and Golden Globe winning um, songwriter John D. Nicola. He's a record producer and also a label head for OMAD Records based out of New York City. That's a boutique record label. You can find out more about him at omadrecords.com, at john-dinicola.com, and follow him on Instagram at Music. Today we're talking about his extensive and accomplished career um, as a musician, and we're hearing about how um, the songs Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes made it into the movie Dirty Dancing. They saved the movie. And anyway, let's pick up with that story john so you were telling talking about um the performers on time of my life well right and uh well the the um the writer the director and uh, patrick swayze and jennifer uh gray that they, they just you know immediately said that's the song we you know we have now we can we have the ending for the movie so now we can you know, look forward to the rest of the movie. They, you know, they were just, it just in, infused an, an excitement into because the, they knew they had this killer close closing scene. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, 35 years later is, you know, is iconic. I mean, it's become yeah. iconic. I mean, it's uh, how many times does, do you see people doing the lift and nobody puts baby in the corner and yeah. all the, all the, uh, you know, the pop, um, icons from that movie um so um and, and it's really evident when there's a, a lot of pl- uh the dirty dancing the play is all over the been all over the world and uh you really feel it when you're watching the play it's like we're just waiting for that mo i mean it's all yeah. great but it's like it's all building to i've had the time of my life it's such a, a kind of an exuberant uh a, a, you know exultant feel um so that's how that one got in there and then once uh you know so we kind of lucked out i mean i guess they lucked out too i mean uh, as emil artelino the director would say uh, everything came together in that movie you could never have planned any of it it's just the sun and the moon and the stars just lined up i mean it was a really small uh um movie um company of um vestron pictures they they had mostly just done directed uh you know vhs movies they hadn't really done a big movie 
so it, it was kind of beat the odds the, the whole song uh the whole movie when um the time of my life got in there and you know uh, they they brought us in frankie and i to look at other scenes they needed a a song for what turned out to be i carried a watermelon uh the big dance scene they needed a song for that uh which ended up being uh love man and i forget what the other was two songs in that scene we submitted uh we had hungry eyes already mm -hmm. right? and we submitted it for that scene they said well you know what I, doesn't really work for that scene but we have an idea for this other scene and of course that's the famous you know uh patrick teaching jennifer and um um i forgot what's the other character's name but the three of them were in there mm -hmm. dancing to hungry eyes um can you remember i can't remember i can't remember it either i have i have the memory of like a p <laughs> and, uh, gosh oh, anyway, i can google it <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways it's kind of that uh, menage a trois scene in there where they're they're teaching her how to dance and uh you know hungry eyes just work perfectly and uh, as i as i was told that it, with, with the arm coming down under her side that was the laughter that she had was real she and patrick was getting annoyed with her because it wasn't supposed to be funny but she kept giggling and they kept it in there obviously because it ended so. up making the scene it, it sounds like that was just a completely synchronistic experience right. and every it must have been surreal for you too well well it was i mean uh you know we and you never know what's going to happen yeah. but you know when it started to take off um you know it was exciting um i remember um in the beginning i i think the um you know the movie started pushing the song and the record sales and all that and then uh, once the song caught on it started pushing the movie it was kind of a symbiotic relationship i remember the first time i saw well the second time i saw it before it was edited and then I saw it, maybe it was the second time I saw it, even after the edit. Uh, I was in a theater near my home, up, Upper West Side in New York City at the time. And I, um, you know, I, I watched to the credits, of course. I was watching the credits and, and I, I noticed a bunch of people in front of me sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And they go, oh, that, that's the song, the time of my life, that's the song. <laughs> so I figured we had something happening there. Well, d definitely. And I feel like that's a soundtrack will make a, a good soundtrack will make a movie and vice versa, because people can relive the experience of being caught up in the story through the music or through the film or through both. And I feel like you have a lot of kind of some really very beautiful, um, surrealist kind of um uh, nuances in your album the why because and she said, um, so why don't we start talking about the why because um you do you have you cover well not cover but you have your own version of time in my life which is this really beautiful um kind of dreamy ethereal acoustic guitar version of time in my life and then a pretty true version um true to the original cut of hungry eyes that i got to sing background on <laughs> um and also you've got some originals on there and a cover of my dad's song i am not willing for those of you who don't know my dad's peter lewis from moby grape and we're talking to john d nicola here uh john d nicola has produced records for my dad peter lewis and myself and um or a record for me 
And for what it's, it's, I was reading your bio and it said for I Am Not Willing, uh, you were just in the studio with Jake and Jake was playing the drums and you were just kind of having fun with the song and it ended up, that, by the way, that recording is just outstanding. It's like very true to the vibe of the original Moby Grape um, recording too, but, but it has a little more of a shimmer, which I really like. I really love, did you play that electric guitar? Because I really love that. Yeah, so I believe I played everything, uh, ex- maybe not the piano. I think I played everything, and Jake played drums, and um, I think Alan Zahn, okay. our mutual friend, played the piano, if I remember. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was this guy named Plink- Plinky, Plinky, guy named Plinky from New Jersey. Nice. That sounds uh, cool. Played the piano. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, I, I, I had just moved... Um, equipment into my barn mm-hmm. recording studio to get my recording studio up here and we set the drums up with just a few mics and jake came in and i was just trying to get a feel for the room and and get a, a sound and see how the room sounded and um i i said jake let's just play um you know i am not willing yeah and so that's how that started and 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 then um I put my voice, I put, I built the track. Uh, I think I played guitar to lay it down with, with, um, Jake and, um, built all the tracks up. I sent, uh, got a plinky to play piano. And then I said, well, let me just throw a vo- vocal down on it. You know, I, again, I, I never thought of myself as a lead singer and, um, you know, sounded pretty good. So that, that sort of kicked off the why, because, um, nice. Uh, and then I started thinking, well, what other songs could I do? And um, it, why? Because is um, my first record as an artist, and it contains songs uh, I had written for other artists, right? Um, including the time of my life and hungry eyes, and a song for John Waite, and some of them were songs that were written for other artists that they didn't do. So uh, I just I just did them. It just I, I kind of looked through my catalog and said, well, what what could I what could I sing? What's what sounds like it could be a song I would do, and um, and and that's how that happened. We had another song that was "You're the Only One," which opens the album, and it was in a um, um, Sylvester Stallone movie called "Avenging Angelo," uh, sung by Steve Holy. Our country singer and so we're going to take you out to break with I had the time of my life uh, the song that John D. Nicola co-wrote with Frankie Previtt and then we're going to bring you back in with his song Float on Hope time of my life uh, in John D. Nicola's version is off of his record The Why Because and Float on Hope is on his record She Said and we're featuring and talking about both of those projects today here on the Arwen Lewis Show we'll be right back
ambiance melting in the sun while our skin burns and I wonder what Good morning, everybody. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. Today, my very special guest is a Academy Award winning, uh, Golden Globe winning, Grammy nominated songwriter, John DiNicola. He wrote the songs Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes with his co-writer, Frankie Previtt. And those were from the movie Dirty Dancing. And he's also a record producer, a recording artist, and we're here today featuring songs from two of his recent albums that he's released on OMED Records. And we're talking about the why because, and now we're going to move into his album, She Said. And John, um, in your bio, I took a little quote um, that you gave us to explain um, some of the philosophy behind She Said. And it says, uh, there's a narrative arc that begins with loving somebody and loving each other as humans, countered by a warning of what's happening to our planet and our country. That winds up with at least the possibility of redemption. And I totally hear that in this collection of songs. Um, this is kind of like more of a, there's a little bit more of a dreamy vibe. You cover Can't Find My Way Home by um, Steve Winwood, which is like when I first heard it, I actually thought it was a um, Steve Winwood version. You just like ghost it perfectly. Um, so yeah, maybe you could talk about, um, you know, how you came up with the songs for this particular project and uh, what your recording process was like. And I know you um, kind of, I don't know if this was a branch out for you, for you to play like a synthesizer and a sitar was that the first time you recorded with those instruments um so yeah let's just talk about the recording process and um where the writing um inspiration came from yeah well as i mentioned the why because was songs that i had written for other people uh that i felt i could pull together for a record and she said was different because it was I started from scratch and I was writing for me myself as an artist which I had never done before mm -hmm. uh, and it was so liberating it was so much fun because I, I didn't have to get into anybody else's head yeah. like what would they want to sing and what you know what makes sense for them it was like it was all on me and, and I, I just loved it because there were no constraints I could just do whatever came out and so I probably uh, I picked up uh, my Juno 106 which is what I had originally wrote Hungry Eyes with okay it has all that chimey dung, dung, dung. so I just it's a, it's from the 70s uh, or eight, no, 70s 80s 80s an 80s keyboard 
And, uh, you know, people like um, Tame Impala, Kevin Parker, he, he used that synth. It's it's kind of a a workhorse synth. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's there seems to be, with the indie rock bands, a little bit of a uh, nod to the 80s synth pop that was going on. And so I just pulled it out and I just started going. Mm -hmm. I just started building tracks and, you know, I'd maybe a chord progression on on my on the on the Juno and then I'd think I'd sing a melody with that and then I'd put a bass part on and and uh I, I kind of went backwards because I, I I played all the music first and then I would bring a drummer in uh Brian as you know Brian mm -hmm. Delaney and um he would you know I maybe maybe I'd have a like your dad does, Peter, he put kind of like a drum program down and then build the tracks along around that and then pull the drummer in later. But um, I, I guess I was trying to, uh, by pulling the synth out, I, I was trying to, um, trying to uh, appeal to a, a younger I, I don't know. I try to stay contemporary, um, and 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 that's not always easy. But I, for some reason, I just felt like let me start with a synth. And so I would only I'd say only about half of the songs on that record started with synth, and okay. the others were acoustic guitar. Say so I I also wrote a song with um, Keith Reed, who sadly passed away recently. Keith was the lyricist for all of uh, Procol Harum's okay. songs, including Whiter Shade of Pale. Um, and I had written with Keith before, but I asked Keith, I said, do you have some, um, you know, some lyrics? And and because uh, I mostly write music first, melody first, and then work with a lyricist mm -hmm. to listen to that track of music and melody. Uh, once in a while, I'll take a lyric and just write to that lyric and that's how um my song battered cloth okay. came about um keith sent me the lyrics battered cloth and uh and then it just came just came out you know it's, it's, it's a lot of the time like for instance hungry eyes when i wrote that the music for it poured out in 10 minutes yeah you know you know, there are other times when you have to labor and it, and it, you know, can't find quite the right things and, and, you know, they end up okay, end up good, but it's the ones that just spill out. I are, agree with are you. the most fun, you know, they're just, it's, it's kind of like you're channeling something, something just comes through you, you know, and, uh, and uh, that, that uh, Hungry Eyes was like that and Battered Cloth was like that. And, um... So, and did you, you did all the production yourself and you recorded that in your barn too, right? So that, do you feel like the, your, your barn studio, um, do you feel like the ambience of that studio affected your writing style too? And also, was it all analog or was it digital too? Um, no, it's, uh, it was digital too. Uh, uh, one of these days, the next project I'm going to do is going to be all analog, but mm -hmm. I have a lot of a ton of analog gear, so right. it's going down digitally, but it's through a ton of analog, uh, you know, great old analog gear. Uh, I do take a lot of the times I'll take 
uh, many of the tracks after I've recorded them digitally and run them through. You can see that, well, you guys yeah. can see the uh, 16 track tape machine back mm -hmm. there um, because it gives, it adds that analog sound. And the drum, I, if I listen to the drums playing back to me after being recorded digitally, they sound good. I send them to the tape machine and bring them back and they just sound better. Yeah. You know? And um, the convenience, uh, you know, you can do multiple takes with, with digital and just yeah. go over and over and edit and cut this and that, uh, which you can't do on tape. You know, tape is, you know, you get three songs on a tape maybe. Yeah. Um, so there's that advantage to, um, to digital. But then, uh, like I said, I run it through... Um, I run it through my tape machine, and, uh, and then I'll even mix to a two-track tape machine okay. to uh, add a little more of that um, analog vibe, which uh, sounds, I love. I, I absolutely love it. And it just sounds, it's warmer, you know, and then if you get it on vinyl, it sounds better, which, um, by the way, you can get um, the Why Because John's D. Nicola's album on vinyl, correct? And is she set on yeah. vinyl, too? Yes. Yep, so they're both, both available on vinyl. Uh, you can visit omadrecords.com to grab those. And uh, we're going to head out to break here pretty soon. Um, but for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, this is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. And my special guest is a very accomplished musician. He's been in the recording business for five decades. His name's John DiNicola. He is an Oscar-winning and Golden Globe-winning Grammy-nominated songwriter for I've Had the Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes from Dirty Dancing. And he's also a recording artist, a record label head, and a producer. And we're featuring songs from his records, The Why Because, and She Said Today. We're going to take you out to break from his song, You're the Only One, that's recorded on The Why Because, and bring you back in with Hungry Eyes. That's John DiNicola's version of Hungry Eyes. It's also on The Why Because. And we'll um, see you in a second. still mad at me should I be down on us and what if I foolishly say say I had enough and when the talk is over all the words have turned gray that's when my mixed emotions just won't go away So we stand Shoulder to shoulder With everything we lose If we both could choose We'd want our world back I'll do whatever it takes Just give me You're the only one 
Good morning, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. My very special guest today is John D. Nicola. He's an Academy Award winning and Golden Globe winning Grammy nominated songwriter, a producer, a record label head for Omad Records, which is a boutique label out of New York City. And he, his songs, Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes were featured, of course, in the movie Dirty Dancing. And we brought you back into break with John D. Nicola's recording of Hungry Eyes on his record, The Why Because. And also on that record is a beautiful ethereal version of Time of My Life. And John, let's tell everybody, you co-wrote that song, correct? Who are your co-writers on that? Right. That was with Frankie Previtt. Uh, who was from Frankie and, and the Knockouts, and my friend Donald Markowitz. So the three of us, uh, Donnie and I, kind of eked out the music and uh, sent it to Frankie. And uh, it was all in a whirlwind because they needed the song uh, right away. And uh, and as I stated earlier, it wasn't like we had the gig. We were competing with every other writer on the planet. So we got lucky. And it sounds like that whole film and soundtrack was complete synchronicity. And um, you can get that record, The Why Because, as well as John's record, She Said, on OMAD Records. And John, I thought we could talk about OMAD a little bit. Um, OMAD, so OMAD Records is your boutique label in New York City. Um, it's the home to my records. And John produced my first record, Arwen, which is a collection of Moby Grape songs with me singing lead and some of the best musicians in the world on there, including John. Um, and then he's released uh, records for himself, uh, for my dad, Peter Lewis, his son, Jake DiNicola has, has a band Forever that are on that re- record label, uh, Rust Dust and The Size, and so it's quite of um, quite of a, quite an array of artists with very different musical styles. Was that your goal with Omad, or why did you find Omad and um, start the label? Well, I guess I started like you mentioned earlier. It was a production company, and we started with. Um, with Carrots Flowers, who went on to become Maroon 5. We, we recorded that and we put a, a, a few, we, we were gonna put that out on, we, we had a, our production company was through uh, another uh, Caroline distribution, um, but then um, that dissolved and I, I kind of split up with my production partner and um, just started putting, you know, d- d- the success of Dirty Dancing and songwriting and all that allowed me to, um, you know, look for artists. Um, like, I, I guess The Size was one of the first bands that we uh, we, we recorded. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it really just were situations that arose that, um, you know, uh, when I put on my production hat, I, I, want, I, I wanted an outlet for these great artists and um that's kind of how it it just unfolded it just unfolded on its own um i can't even think of the chronology of everything uh, uh, we, we did we did your record Ar- arwen lewis arwen the, the cover of the moby grip and then i then we did peter's first record peter lewis um uh and i think you came out uh, with the fo- i think forever was after me too right uh, phobia. Oh, phobia. phobia. Oh, my gosh. Phobia. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't remember chrono- chronologies. I guess phobia, yeah, would have been after you. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm looking at the list here. 
were you the f no you couldn't have been the first artist on OMAD no well I don't I, I don't remember yeah. maybe just OMAD uh, with me just me alone I think all the other records that were put out including the size were OMAD through another label okay so purely OMAD I don't remember but um, you know working with uh, your dad of course uh, as a as a 12 year old i bought yeah one of my my mom took me to buy my, my cousin had a what they call a one stop which supplies records to the to the area to the tri-state area in new york and my mom i was 12 years old my mom said go in and pick out th three records i think they were a dollar 99 at the time and i picked out uh mr fantasy by traffic mm -hmm. um um are you experienced Jimi Hendrix and Moby Grape and uh you know that just kind of cemented my love of uh of music I mean music in 1967 68 was just awesome I mean it was just no one the labels didn't even know what they had yet mm -hmm. you know it was like uh it was uh uh it was just a, a blooming scene you know and particularly in San Francisco uh, um you know, after the Beatles, uh, um, uh, the Americans had, what did they have? They had San Francisco, you know, so yeah. Moby Grape, Grateful Dead, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company. Um, so that whole thing really influenced me a lot. So to to uh, to work with Peter was was uh, just great. I mean, it, it, uh, such a great writer, such a great lyricist. And then on the second record we did together, uh, it, we uh, you know and i don't think peter did a lot of co-writing but we did we, we wrote co-wrote yeah. five songs together on on his record imagination mm -hmm. um, and that you know it's really kind of a, a a wonderful sort of uh i don't know what you call that um it was just you know my my initial foray into music was so influenced by moby grape and then to come around uh, this many years later and uh you know sort of you know work with peter in in that regard it was you know it's just uh an honor because he peter is such a musician such a lyricist um you know well i was just gonna say too like it sounds like you know after talking about all your projects that were in the ones that we're featuring today and everybody you've worked with it feels like you've kind of come full circle and so i can't wait to see where your music goes next um, uh, sadly, we're out of time, so we don't get okay. to tell everybody else about the rest of the career of John D. Nicola, but you'll just have to keep watching him on Instagram at John D. Nicola Music. Look him up on omadrecords.com and also at john-dnicola.com. John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And everybody, we're going to play in its entirety John D. Nicola's She Said from his album She Said. That's the title track. And again, thank you so much, John, and everybody have a good day. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. And follow her on Instagram at arwenlewis.com.